I'm a ranger, a new Belgian beer ranger. You can't see my uniform because we're on the radio, but you can bet I'm wearing it with pride. Wandering the land from coast to coast, bringing good beer to the masses, well, I can develop quite a thirst. Now we've crafted a beer with Simcoe, Chinook, and Cascade hops, the Ranger IPA. So bold and refreshing, it can satisfy a ranger's thirst. Try a new Ranger IPA, and then head online to get in uniform at newbelgium.com. Employee-owned, alternatively empowered, New Belgium Brewing. Follow your folly. Ours is beer. We got Rangers in position, because we got a great mission for yourself and IPA. Sit back and just listen. With additional support from Kuat Rex and Patagonia. This is The Shorts, and you're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries. Guide school. Six weeks of living deep in the arms of the mountains, spurred by a hope of earning a living in the wild places. Like most folks on this course, I was searching for a different life. We'd signed up with the secret hope that this would be the first step on a fresh new path leading away from years of false starts. Course mates included a college athletics trainer, an editor of medical journals, three biologists, a DJ, a Kenyan nurse, and a handful of others who'd tried their hands at teaching, carpentry, cooking. Whatever our chosen lives had given us, something was missing. We came together through a shared belief that we might find that something in the mountains. Our guide, Cody, has got to be in his 60s now. Hell, he was almost that when I last saw him. He'd already been training climbing guides longer than I'd been alive. The teaching style he had developed was part clinical precision, part priestly patience. We knew under his coaching we would be watched over, that we would fall, but we would not fail. The fact that Cody led 512 with effortless grace was sufficient to capture my attention. I was still in a place where I thought the grade I climbed said something meaningful about me. Cody had something else in mind. He ignored how we climbed and instead focused on why. Though I drug my ego up those climbs every day, Cody advised leaving such heavy burdens on the ground. Our climbing days started with meditation and quiet discussion about things more expansive than egos. An hour of yoga led into one of Cody's monologues delivered in a voice chipped and scarred from its time spent howling at the foot of countless desert cliffs. He often led us to his favorite subject, the wilderness within. That wilderness, he assured us, lies deep within every heart and is a frontier toward which few wander. Wilderness and wildness he added, were things best defined by the individual, not society. Words would fail to guide us through such a place. Out here, surrounded by sage in a vast stretch of wild desert, his suggestions landed squarely in a place few had touched. They touched me, and one morning, 
I reached a point when I could no longer keep quiet. The yoga, the conversation, the gentle but persistent goading. I'm pretty sure I wanted to say, yes, yes, keep talking, keep telling us. You're so much closer to the secret. What's the next step on the path? What came out was a little different. This is all cool, but I can't tell if you want us to say something or just listen to you. We have a lot to do today, and sitting here isn't helping with any of that. Are we going to climb or talk? It was the best I could do. I could not then speak from a self whom I had yet to become. I think what I was looking for, desperately asking for actually, was permission. Permission to keep our pursuit awake through his talks. Permission to put aside the checklist that drove our guide training. Permission to accept his invitation to open up, reveal ourselves to ourselves. But I wasn't ready for that kind of exposure. Instead, that ego-dragging version of me grabbed the microphone. These morning talks were keeping me from checking off the boxes that would prove me worthy. I don't remember his reply, only the keenness of feeling that followed. With one carelessly delivered phrase, I'd managed to turn down his invitation to come and sit in the great silence, the very place where I might find my answers. The mechanics of our morning routine continued, breakfast, gear prep, yoga, but the stuff that would teach us how to face our fears, to speak them before others, came to an abrupt end. In a life of many forgotten regrets, this one lingers. Though the morning talks ended, Cody found ways to insert lessons into the raw and repetitive parts of our training. Once tied in, grades meant nothing, and the proper dialogue for a climb, climbing, climb on, became a tool for focus, pregnant with nuance and meaning. We beat out the syllables of on belay, on belay, on our thighs. We clapped each syllable to its reply, belay, on. We learned how the rhythm of sound and movement could carry us upward through storms whose rage would drown out even the most crisply spoken. That a pact, rightly formed, promised the gifts of strength and freedom. The knots we tied it did anything but bind us. Tying in meant cutting loose. I usually lump platitudes like that in with the free the heel, free the mind school of thought. The enlightenment through sport argument always struck me as a soft-souled, privileged white dude way to justify hedonism and avoidance. Let's face it, Maslow was on to something. If what we're doing doesn't present us with the promise of a hot meal or a transcendence, aren't we just filling time? This was one of Cody's many lessons whose simple theme I only now see through the clear lens of retrospection. Like all sports, climbing can be many things. But at its most refined moments, it is a gateway to freedom. In this vein, Cody ushered us towards something bigger than a climbing career. If anything, his own life served as a stark warning against such a thing. Every day, Cody would clamber down to his truck and make the 40-mile drive to the nearest payphone, where he would spend hours wrangling out the terms of a pending divorce with a lawyer whose face he couldn't read. Then he'd return to his work of teaching us how to read a different sort of face, and how to find freedom in the process. 
final night, we gathered on a giant plate of granite, a stage of stone spread beneath the stars of a flawless night. In the growing twilight, Cody reached into his small satchel and carefully fished out a few precious totems. The first, a ram's horn, a real one, chipped and scarred from its time resting at the foot of some nameless desert cliff. Next, fire emerged from his satchel, followed by something soon to be smoke, an herbaceous bundle that looked to weigh more than a lifty's seasonal salary. Once wrestled free of his dusty bag, he cradled it across his palm and forearm like a trophy trout. Then he held it up before him and applied the gentle kiss of flame. Soon we were surrounded by that unmistakable essence, that sweet acrid perfume so common in the West. Sage, of course. This was guide school after all, and we'd just finished learning serious stuff. We came to Cody hoping to learn how to climb, how to lead, and how to teach these skills to others. But the lit match reminded us of all the other things he had on his mind. Glowed fresh embers, Cody marked the point where we would begin to transfer the lessons we'd learned to our everyday lives. The incense of the burning sage rub fingered its way through the twilight, finding each of our noses. And though it failed to get us high in the way some secretly hoped, it successfully transported us to a wholly unexpected place. horn he had pulled from his bag, then began its circuit through our tribe. In taking it, we were offered a chance to set down our egos, silence the inner noise, and give voice to the wilderness of thought and emotion inside us. Climbing was, on this trip, as it would be on so many future ones, simply an excuse to spend time in the great silence. There was something more in the vast reach of desert night that surrounded us, something the ram's horn helped to touch. When placed in our hands, it was our turn to speak the words that came most easily. It's rare to have the words arrive when you need them. I had assumed that people go to these lonesome, wild places to prove something, to find something big enough to measure themselves against. I counted myself among them and craved exposure to extremes of temperature, the limits of my endurance, and to the giddy abyss that yawns beneath delicately balanced feet. But with the horn in my hand, I faced a fear far more penetrating. Physical risk, it seemed, was just a distraction compared to the emotional kind. Exposure to the yawning void is nothing compared to exposing our true self to others. I don't recall what I said. I only remember the weight of the ram's horn in my hand and the feeling of something inside slowly tearing, healing, even as it opened. Words fell from me. Were it not for the presence of my friends, they would have laid there upon the rocks, scarred and fading at the base of some nameless desert cliff. It's been 10 years since that night in the desert, and I'm still guiding occasionally. But whatever a life in the wild places might have given me, 
Something was always missing. Life has changed, and so have I. My younger self would say I've given up, sold out, whatever. I've got something more than a car to live out of now, and a woman who's waiting for me to come home. Liz, my fiance, is the reason I remember the ram's horn passing from my hand, and that feeling of relief deepening within me as it did. It's the same as when she said, yes. And through the years, I still hear Cody, clear and true, guiding us toward the wilderness within, and see his point at last. Searching for freedom in distant lands and wild places is a distraction. There is no wilderness more vast than our heart, and there is no freedom like learning to trust it to another. My name is Mike Colpo, and this is my short. After working as an English teacher and outdoor guide, Mike's latest incarnation is an editor and copywriter for Patagonia. His biggest goal for this year? Marrying his fiance Liz. Best wishes. Music today from Bradley Carter, The Most Serene Republic, Zola Jesus, and Abigail Washburn. You can download the cuts and find out information about the artists on our site, dirtbagdiaries.com. We love hearing from you, so friend us on Facebook or drop us an email at dirtbagdiaries at earthlink.net. Support for the show comes from New Belgium Brewing. Right now, they've got this cool new project on the go. Fans, people like you and me, they're uploading photos of their lovable dogs on Facebook. For every photo uploaded, New Belgium donates $1 to the Humane Society. They've already donated more than $4,000 to the Humane Society. So if you're interested and you've got a dog and you're stoked about your dog, go to New Belgium's Facebook page, click on the Mighty Arrow tab, and enter to win by uploading your dog's photo. And New Belgium, well, they'll keep donating more money. Support for the show also comes from Kuat Racks. Friend them on Facebook and you can stay up to date on events and product giveaways. Visit them online at kuatracks.com. Additional support comes from Patagonia. I'm Fitzcahal, that was Mike Colpo, and you've been listening to The Dirtbag Diaries. Diaries.